0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com. Well, good morning. It's good to, uh, it's good to come together again this morning and, uh, to uh, To study God's word, to worship Him, Uh, I'm praying that um, uh, Premier Kenny would see fit that we'll be able to gather, maybe even as early again as next week. That would be a phenomenal thing, and we're praying for that. And uh, I'm praying as well that even um, through these days, that we would um, maybe as Canadians we'd never take for granted again the blessing that it is to gather, and um, that maybe we wouldn't be so flippant about it in the future. and uh, maybe that's part of what God is teaching us through these things. But it is good to come together to study God's word. And we've been going through Romans 8. I thought it'd be good just to even think about what is it that we've learned so far in Romans 8? like Where are we at? We're kind of like midway through uh, the text, kind of moving towards the end of it now. And where have we been and where are we going? Now, Romans 8, one to four started off by telling us that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're no longer under the law, Christ has fulfilled the law for us in his righteous life, and now we walk by the power of the Spirit, and we have life in him. In verses 5 through 11, he described the characteristics of those who are in the Spirit. Those who are in the Spirit dwell on the things of the Spirit. They they have life and peace. They walk in God's ways. and and can now please God as a result of that, and they wait for their bodies to one day be resurrected. Verses 12 and 13 explain to us the, the way of sanctification that by the power of the Spirit we are able to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. Verses 14 through 16 describe how the Spirit testifies that we are the children of God. We know that we are the children of God. Why? Two things. We are able to cry out, Abba, Father. We are able to put to death the deeds of the body, and we're able to walk in the power of the Spirit. And then last week, we transitioned for all all the incredible blessings that we received through the Spirit, and he began to talk about the fact that there will be suffering in this life. Just as Christ suffered, so too will we suffer. And we find ourselves in this section where we see that there will be suffering, and then glory. The Spirit is helping us through this time of suffering, then glory. It's important to remember that there is glory to come. And we, as we're going to look at verses 19 through 27 this morning, he's just going to explain more about the current suffering and how there is still glory to come. That there's hope for you and I as believers Paul didn't want us to get caught unaware of the fact that you're going to have trouble in this life. You're going to have suffering in this life. It's not unnatural. It is something you should expect. But what? There's hope. There's hope. And so we need to be patient. Thinking about this patience, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I can be impatient t- at times. There's this great quote of a preacher by the name of uh, Phillips Brooks. He was known for his poise and his steadfastness. His intimate friends, however, knew that at times he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. One day a friend saw him pacing the floor like a caged lion. What is the trouble, Dr. Brooks asked the friend. The trouble is, he said, that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. And I think we can all relate to that, right? I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. And as we look at... The, the groaning of this earth, the groaning that we have, there can be this like, hey, tomorrow, like, like right away is God, would you do this thing? Whatever we're asking, would you do it? But God's saying, not your will, but my will be done. Be patient, but know your hope is certain. This is what we're going to be looking at today. This, today, we're going, to be, we're going to be reminded that the pain and the problems of this world may tarry, and that God doesn't seem to be in a hurry to change that, but one day it will all be changed. And so we need to wait with patience and with hope as we wait that day. So before we get into it, let me just pray for us one more time. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word today. God, we're praying, Lord, that you would just lead us and guide us. Lord, as we study your scriptures, uh, Romans chapter 8, what an incredible chapter. Lord, as you reveal to us the, the incredible blessing of giving us your spirit, which enables us to go through the difficulties in this world, which will lead to the glory to come. And Lord, as we get to the end of the chapter, we'll be reminded that nothing shall separate us from your love. God, thank you. Thank you that, Lord, because of Jesus Christ, we have hope today. Lord, I'm so thankful that as we gather in this unique way, Lord, that you know every heart, every mind this morning, you know exactly what we need to hear. And so, God, we're expecting that, Lord, your Spirit will help us and lead us, Lord, as we study today. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you better. So lead this preacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at uh, verses 19 through 27. We'll read uh, 18 through 27 just so we understand the whole context. So again, as I always say, I encourage you to, to find a Bible. Look down at the Scriptures for yourself. Find a pen. Find a piece of paper. Pull out your notes on your iPad, whatever you need to do. But let's learn together what God's Word has for us today. Verse 18, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Groanings. Groanings for things to change, for things to be different. We're not in heaven yet. As we talked about last Sunday, there will be suffering, and then there will be glory. Paul explains in this text that the longings experienced in this present time will be fulfilled. Three different longings we see in this text, three, th- three longings that will be fulfilled. The first is this, the curse the curse sorry, will become creation. Curse becomes creation. As we look at, again, verse 19, we see it starts with the word for And again, as we've been studying the Word of God, we understand every time we see the word for, we should look back. And so we understand that what he's saying now is an explanation based on what he has just said, that the current, sorry, the present, sorry, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so this section is going to further explain what he has just said in that statement. He begins with explaining how creation anticipates things changing. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He's using, if you're into English, what we would call personification. He's giving human characteristics to inanimate objects. Paul uh, Moose says this Paul personifies the subhuman creation in order to convey to his readers a sense of the cosmic significance of both humanity's fall into sin and believers' restoration to glory. As we're going to see this morning as we study the text, our sin impacted the entire universe. But so will too our revealing, uh, so too will the revealing of the sons of God. When the last day comes and, and all the saints are gathered together, creation will be changed. And so it is looking to that day. It says here that there's, it looks with eager longing. It's an intense desired expectation with a high confidence of fulfillment. In other words, it's, it's ready. It's wanting it to come. It knows it will come. It's not a, a, a wishful thing. It knows it will come. Several commentators described it as this, somebody standing on tiptoes, right, stretching the neck, craning forward in order to able to see. That's what creation is doing. It is longing, it is looking, it is is hoping that soon, one day, the sons of God will be revealed. What is Paul talking about here? that the sons of God will be revealed. Again, let's remember our context. Verses 14 and 16, he talked about us being children of God, our, our being sons of God. And so there is a sense where it's an already, but not yet. Right? We are adopted by God. We are sons of God. We're children of God. Yet, we're not home yet. But there is a day coming where all the saints will be gathered together. And it's that day when all things will change for creation. it's that day that creation longs for. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's that day when Christ returns, when we will be with him forever. That's the day that creation is longing for. Why is it longing for this day? Why is it eagerly expecting this day? Verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. When we look around at the world around us, there is much to be in awe of, right? When you look at the world, as you watch maybe some of those different, you know, nature shows, you just look at it, it's like, it's incredible. This is unbelievable what God has made. Psalm nineteen one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There is much to praise God for as we look at this creation. And yet, it's not the way it once was. It's finding interesting that the more that, that scientists work, the more that scientists discover, they understand what the Bible says. That there was a time that things were perfect. How they would describe it is a most ordered possible state of the earth was at one time and that things are winding down. And, of course, no one knows when things will ultimately be warmed down. Scientists are looking into these things. But the Scripture explains it all. That there is, well, there was a time when God looked down on the earth, and what did he say? It is good. With every day that he created, he would, at the end of that day, he would proclaim, and it was good. And creation had no problems. It functioned as it should have. But then what happened? Sin came into the world. And as a result of that, the curse came. And with that, futility. Let's just be reminded of what happened with the curse. Genesis 3.14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. All of creation, all living beings were impacted as a result of sin coming into this earth. And the serpent was said to be cursed above all. Meaning what? All had been cursed. But not just the animals. Genesis 3:17 to 19 tells us this. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not just the living beings that were cursed, but all of the universe was cursed, the ground Thorns and thistles became a part of this world. Hard, frustrating work became part of the world order. No part of creation was left untouched by the curse. This is what Paul's talking about when he says the creation was subjected to futility. To be subjected is to be brought under the dominion or authority of another. And so the world was now brought under the futility of or brought under the order of futility. Futility, this word is to pertain to being useless on the basis of being futile and lacking in content. In other words, it's not able to do what it once did. You think about our world, even with all the advancements that we've made by mankind, right? You think about all that they've been able to do. They can plant how many acres in so many minutes now. I mean, it's just like incredible. But what? There's still weeds. There's still problems. You're still waiting. To, like hopefully, there's enough rain. Hopefully, they're getting enough warmth. Like all of these things are still, we're still subject to. And we read that it was not creation's choice, but God subjected creation to futility when sin entered this world. Our sin. And the groaning of this world are tied together. The the frustration of this world is tied together. It was to give mankind a reminder that there are consequences to our sin. However, this was not to be the end for mankind, nor was it to be the end for creation. Listen to what Paul writes as he continues here. He says, in hope, in hope, it it was... subjected to futility, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Even as it was subject to the curse, it was done so in hope that they would not always be corrupt. Again, we understand that the world is decaying. Living creatures all over the earth are born only to die at some point. Trees and plants grow and then what? Die. Spurgeon comments, Everything here is blighted and subject to storm or decay or to sudden death or to calamity of some sort. It is a fair world, but there is the shadow of the curse over it all, the slime of the serpent, is on all of Eden's now. You see, everywhere you look in creation, there is, it's broken. It is good and wise for mankind to do their best to be good stewards of the world that God has given us. But the reality is that it will continue to be in bondage to corruption until the sons of God are revealed. There's nothing that mankind can do about that. Mother Nature... Oh, how many times do we hear that? Mother Nature is not in charge. God is in charge, and He has subjected this world to corruption until the day that the sons of God are revealed. I've been reading Revelation. A whole lot more devastation coming to this earth before that day. Peter sums it up like this in 2 Peter 3, 12-13. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God will make a new thing. There will be a new creation. Uh, this which is corrupt will, not, will be, become perfect once again. It is on this day where all things will be made new the day when the sons of God are revealed. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This is the day that creation is longing for. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. From the day of the curse, right up until when Paul wrote, and right through to today, this whole creation has been groaning. And it says here that that it's the pains of childbirth. When you think about the, the pains of childbirth, think about things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, volcanoes, famines and droughts, flooding, wildfires, swings of extreme temperatures, they're all birth pains. They all remind us that we're not home yet, that this world is broken. I was thinking about our context here in the tundra of Canada and how we have just a little bit of a glimpse of the already not yet. You think about January, right? What this province looks like. I remember flying out for the first time out of Edmonton. I was, I don't know, it was like 18 or whatever. And I, I remember flying out and looking down in January and thinking, how did this place ever get settled? Like, there, it's like barren wasteland, right? And, and, and you're just like, is, is there ever going to be any hope when it's like minus 40? And right? But what? Spring comes. And then all of a sudden, it's like this miraculous thing where everything starts turning green the farmers go out and they plant their fields, and by August, it's just incredible. But then, what? We're reminded that we're not there yet. The fall comes, the winter hits again, and there's going to be this cycle till the day that Christ returns, and we will finally be revealed as his children. This world was subject to futility. But there is hope. There is hope to come. Even in the, the curse, God reminded us of the hope in Genesis 3.15. He said that out of the seed of woman, there will be someone who would come and defeat the serpent. And we know that that was Jesus Christ. And the time for hope to come is getting closer and closer. Romans 16, 20 says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so as we look at creation, as we experience the futility, let us understand that what? That points us to the fact that we're not home yet. But there's hope. There is hope. He's going to change that one day. When? When? when the sons of God are revealed. And so creation is longing for that day, and so too are we longing. We long because right now we are in the partial, but the partial will become perfect. The partial will become perfect. Let me explain what I mean by that in verses 23 to 25. He says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he's saying, look, the creation is longing, it's groaning, it can't, it's like it's peering, like is it time yet, is it time yet? But so too are we, we groan as well. As we look at the scriptures, we see that there's judges against creation, and then there's going to be judgments against the creature, the human, or sorry, humanity. And that we see this all through Genesis to Revelation. And so he says, this is what creation's longing for, and this is what God's people are waiting for. But note, he says, it's we ourselves who are groaning. So it's not all of humanity, but the church. The church is longing for these things. And he says here, that as we groan, we've been given the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits, it's a foretaste. It's a pledge of blessings to come. You and I, as we've been learning from like verses 1 through 17 of chapter 8, we've been given the Spirit of God. And that is a foretaste of what is to come. It is a blessing for all God's children. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 1:13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. This morning we have confidence in the fact that we are going to see our bodies redeemed one day. Why? Because we've been given the Spirit of God and because we have the Spirit living within us, we have confidence that we are going to get home. As I've been thinking about this text this week, it's, it's like verses 14 through 17, they're talking about our, our adoption. It's like the legal papers are in, you are his children, but what? You're not home yet. It'd be like a, a child who, who's. Getting adopted from Uganda, and you're, you're going to bring them here to Canada, and it's all, all the legal stuff is done, but he still has to get home yet, right? Still has to fly over and, and be here. In the same way, we're adopted, but we're not home yet. And so it says, What? We groan inwardly as we eagerly wait, or so as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Groaning and longing are a good thing. You should groan and long in this earth. If you're not groaning and longing, that could be a problem. If you're content in this world that is cursed, if we're not bothered by our tendency to sin against a holy God, if we're not bothered by the suffering we see in the lives of so many in this world, if we're not longing to finally be in the presence of Abba, Father, if we do not find ourselves lamenting sin's impact, then perhaps this earth is more home than it should be. You understand what I'm saying by that? Like you, you, should, be, you should feel uncomfortable in this world. You, you should be longing. You should be hoping for something that's not here yet. We should be bothered. And it is a good thing to be reminded that there's still more to come. Boa puts it like this. How many Christians' hearts break over the tragedy and despair present in the lives of so many in our world? We, even the church, have so effectively distanced ourselves from the groaning of the creation that we forget that we live in the midst of a curse. It is as if we have taken the anesthesia intended for the mother laboring to give birth in the next room. The results of the curse are in our very presence, but we fail to hear it. Any believer who does not groan inwardly and wait eagerly for his or her adoption has a shallow understanding of the present condition and future hope God has provided for his children. If we truly see the world the way God sees it, there ought to be a longing in our hearts. We ought to cry. We ought to lament when we see the pain and suffering in this world. It's right to long that things would be different. Recall what Don read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 5. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent... What does that show you? This is temporary. We groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so what is is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He has prepared us for this very thing as God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We've been given the Spirit as a guarantee. We're going to make it. And so as we groan and long, we do not do so without hope. We know that what we hope for will yet come. But we do groan in this life. We groan, why? Because of the corruption and sin and death of this world. We, we groan like Paul groaned in, in Romans seven twenty four, where he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When we fail to do what we ought to do and, and failed not to do what we should have done. But, We do so with hope. When the redemption of our bodies will come, we'll be given—sorry, when the redemption of our bodies come, we'll be given what? We're going to give new bodies. It's going to be an incredible thing. Bodies that are not tempted to sin. Right now, we're still tempted. We still break down. I mean, I don't know what's going on with my hands, but i got some problems happening, Right? starting to get some aches and pains. I'm like, okay, great, here we go, right? It's going to get more and more like this. But what? There's new bodies coming, bodies that will never break down, bodies that will not forget, bodies that will worship perfectly, bodies that will not sin or make mistakes. That's coming for the believer. We eagerly await for the redemption of our bodies. It says in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What an incredible day that will be. To be in his presence will mean that we need to be as him, and he will make that happen And then he says this in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For a second time, Paul relates hope to the groaning. Yes, we groan, but there's hope. The groaning is not eternal. It will not be the case for creation, and it will not be the case for Christ's church. Our groaning will not be eternal. Hope is eternal. A change is coming. In this life, we will have struggles and pain. We'll have disappointments and hurt, but we do not put our hope in the things of this world and in our present circumstances. We hope for that which we do not see, the glory to come, the future redemption of our bodies. This morning, if you feel overwhelmed by sorrow, pain, and struggles of this life, remember our hope is in that which we cannot see. Suffering, then glory. It is certain. It is coming. Persevere. Wait for it with patience, he says here. Our hope is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation. God has given us his spirit, and he's given us his word, and so we wait with patience for the redemption of our bodies. Paul wants us to understand that in this world we will have trouble. He wants us to be prepared so that we will not lose heart or become disillusioned. Moo put it like this, The attitude of patient endurance is one that is frequently required of Christians undergoing trials as they await the climax of God's salvation for them. The word suggests the connotation of bearing up under intense pressure. This is the virtue required by Christians as we eagerly await the hope of the glory of God. That's a good word for us this morning. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling tired, remember, remember our hope. It's not in this world It's in the things to come. It is in the redemption of our bodies. It is in being with Christ forevermore. And so let us be patient. Let us persevere. Let us encourage one another and strengthen one another and spur one another on. Hope is on the way. It is only a matter of time. Three longings that will be fulfilled. The last is this. Helplessness becomes hope. Helplessness becomes hope. As that pressure comes upon us, sometimes we don't know how to pray. Look at that image there. Does that look like your prayers at times? Right? Just like this big mess of like, I don't know what to say, but then what? Look, what the, look at the, what, how the Lord responds. I hear you. I love you. Right? This that picture, what you see right there, that's Romans eight twenty-six and twenty-seven. Let's look at what it says here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise, in the same way that hope carries us uh, through our times of burden, the Spirit. Is helping us as well. Again, just like this incredible picture that, that 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 God is always with us through all these things. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. God knows what? That you and I are weak. Let's just be honest this morning, right? You and I are weak. He's not saying if you're weak, he knows that we are weak. And so he has a plan to help us in our weakness. Left to our natural abilities, we are weak and in need of much help, much help. We're still not in those redeemed bodies. We're still in these fallible bodies. But God has given us His Spirit, and He highlights here one particular area of weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Can you relate to that? Do you have times in your life like I don't know, I don't know what to pray? And I find that the more knowledge I get, the more I understand the Word, sometimes it's not any easier to know what to pray. We we know that we want to pray what? pray according to God's will. If we pray according to His will, we know that we have whatever we ask. And so that's what we long for. We long to pray for His will, but sometimes it's hard to know what is His will. When you think about when you're praying for someone who's in great trouble, whether it's a sickness or or some other great trial that they're going through, and you begin to pray, and what? You pray for healing. And you ask, believing that God can heal them. And you know what? God is more than powerful enough to heal anyone on this earth. At any moment, at any time, it doesn't matter what they have, God is more than able to heal. And so you pray for that. But I don't know about you, but then what? Kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, but sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's not his will to heal. And so then I go off on another whole trajectory and say, okay, Lord, but if you don't do that, and I know you can, but if you chose not to do that, Lord, would would you sustain them through this trial? Will you help them? Will you comfort them? Will you guide them? through this trial, strengthen them for whatever you're asking them to go through in this trial, in this tribulation. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but, but the pain in your own life can be so great, you, you don't even know what to say. People will come on like, how can I pray for you? And you're like, I don't even know. That's how great the pain and the suffering is in your life. And you're just wrestling. And you're, you're crying out to God, but the Word's are tough to find. And you feel so alone in those moments. You're like, I I don't even know. But guess what? God knows. God knows what is the right thing to pray. And so in your weakness, listen. Listen to what it says here. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words incredible thing here. I don't know about you, but this should be like, just as knowing that God is the one in charge of changing a person's heart when we do evangelism, this has encouraged my heart this week, that when I pray, I can't mess it up, right? So I don't need to go in all tentative, like, oh, I hope I don't say something wrong or pray something, you know, that it's not God's will, and he has to like, well, you prayed for it. I guess I got to give it to you now, and Like, that's not how this works. For God's children, when we're we're praying, we're crying out, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. To intercede is to pray, it is to to go to God the Father on our behalf. As He does so, we're told that He does so with groanings too deep for words. In other words, even the Spirit of God is longing that things will change, that this world will be made right, that His kingdom would come, that His will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And so the Spirit communicates to the Father on our behalf without using words. Stott says this, the Holy Spirit identifies with our groans with the pain of the world and the church and shares in the longing for the final freedom of both. We and he groan together. I want you to note here, just because there's been a lot of teaching in the church over the years, it is the Spirit that is doing the groaning. Not you or I. it's It's not some kind of language that's going on here. In fact, it's saying it's nothing... To do with words. There is this groaning that is, is a mystery. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Anytime that you and I start thinking about how the Trinity works, it's a little bit like makes our, our ears start to smoke, right? Because we're just like, I don't, ugh, how does this all work? But we accept it by faith that as we're crying out to God, that The Spirit Himself is interceding for us, and it says in verse twenty-seven, "And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God." And so, as the Spirit is crying out, the Father—that's who searches hearts—knows and knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Father hears what the Spirit is saying. Moo puts it like this. God, who sees the inner being, inner being of people where the indwelling Spirit's ministry at intersection takes place, knows, acknowledges, and responds to those intentions of the Spirit that are expressed in His prayers on our behalf. And so the Father hears the groanings of the Spirit and answers accordingly. That's a good thing. Again, as I said earlier, throughout the New Testament, we're told to pray according to the will of God. And as we cry out to Him, we can be confident that the Spirit is praying according to the will of God. In just a, a couple of weeks, we're going to look at Romans eight thirty four, but just glance down there as well. Look at that. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is what? Indeed interceding for us. And so in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, you got Jesus interceding on our behalf. And now here on this earth, the Spirit indwells us and is crying out to the Father on our behalf. How incredible is that? Like how does that not like get you fired up? God is so good. Why am I confident that my, I, one day my body will be redeemed, that I will be with the Father? Why am I confident? Because it's not really about me. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all working together to make sure that I get to that day. It's an incredible, incredible thing. It's not about our strength. It's about an incredible God who helps us in our weakness and ensures us that we will make it to the day when our bodies will be redeemed. Even as the Spirit cries out, we see what He's doing even in this life. And we just peek ahead a little bit to next week. One of the more famous verses in the Bible, we read in Romans 8:28, and we know. This is right after this, what we've just read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so for whatever we're going through at that moment, as we're crying out to God and praying, the Spirit has his way as he cries out to the Father. And whatever is happening in your life is being used for good for the glory of God, for your good, for the glory of God. And as we'll see, ultimately that means that we might be conformed into the image of Christ. And one day, down to verse 30, we will be glorified. The end is sure if you're in Christ Jesus today. Three longings that will be fulfilled. The curse will become creation. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and the the whole of creation is longing for that day. The partial will become perfect. We are his children, but we're not home yet. But we're going to be there someday and we'll be given new bodies. And in our current hopelessness, in our weakness, there becomes hope. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working in in, you Unity for our good and for God's glory. I close with a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it, sorry, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not made for this world, but for another world. Lewis continues Probably earthly pre- pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for the earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a copy or an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire of my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. As beautiful as this country is, this is not home. We're pressing on to the next country where every longing will be fulfilled. And as we do so, we're telling as many people as possible that they too can go to another country. Will there be no more suffering, but only glory? As we cry out to the Father, we do not know what to pray. The Father says this I know I love you. We're almost home. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, as I think about this text and just the love, that is shown to us, Lord, that you would show us these things, that you would know that we would begin to wonder if there really is hope when we see creation falling apart around us, when we, we see our, 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 our own lives and in, in the, the struggles and the trials that we have in this life. God, you want us to know and to remember that there is hope coming, that the suffering and the groaning of this life is only temporary, but glory is eternal. Lord, thank you that you've given us your Spirit to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to pray on our behalf when we do not know what to pray. Lord, you are such a good and loving God. Lord, we pray that as we go through this coming week, that Lord, as we see the problems in this world, we would remember that they are just birth pains. That hope is coming. When we struggle in this life, may we remember that this is just temporary. Hope is coming. Lord, would you use us in this coming week to show this world that there is hope to come for all who would place their hope in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.